Welcome to PTBC Podcast, where we will be speaking about innovation, technology, growing your business, and maximizing your entrepreneurial potential. Let's get down to business. Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to another PTBC Podcast episode, and we hope you're super excited for this one. So this is Slava, and I'm joined by my friend and colleague, Sarush. Everyone. So today we're pleased to introduce Karen Craven. She has lots of passion for physiotherapy and sports physiotherapy in particular, as Karen got her Bachelor of Science degrees in anatomy and physiotherapy and her sports diploma in physiotherapy as well. So fun fact, uh, Karen was an athlete at a high level in women's softball, making it all the way to the national junior level in 1991. And then she later came back as a sports physio for the Canadian women's softball team. So there's lots of accomplishments to speak about, but most importantly, Karen is a co-owner of Craven Sports Services, growing into an excellent multi-million dollar operation in Saskatchewan. To get the full list of their services, visit www.cravensportservices.ca. All right, it's time to get down to business. How are you doing today, Karen? Great, thank you. I'm happy to be be on the podcast. And thank you for taking the time. We really appreciate it. So, Karen, uh, can you tell us a little bit about your journey and how you got to where you are right now? Uh, sure. I um, graduated from the University of Saskatchewan from uh, the College of Physio in 96, and, and I went to work um, at a private practice. Um, for several years, um, really enjoyed the the private practice world, and then I, you know, had had three kids. I had um, my daughter, and then went back part time, and then had twins shortly after, and then went back part time for a bit, and um, really kind of got to the point where I was just frustrated with what I was doing and, and wanted to do more. I had a real interest in the exercise portion of physiotherapy and the clinic that I worked at, um, we weren't allowed to do any of the exercise programming or prescription. We had to refer down to the exercise therapist, which was pretty typical model at that time. Um, and I just really wanted to be able to do the exercise. And so I, thought and you know hard and actually talked to my employer at the time expressing kind of what I really really wanted to do as far as my journey as a as a physio and he was super supportive and and a friend as well and so I made the decision to open up my own practice and rented just a really small like 200 square feet I think room in a in a gym and so I was able to do the combination of physio and then I did personal training and worked with with uh, teams out of that facility as well. Um, and that's kind of how I started. I ended up, uh, I think my, well, my first hire was a bookkeeper because I knew that I had no skills in that. Um, so I hired a bookkeeper and then eventually I hired, I hired a part-time physio. Um, so that's kind of where I started. I think that was kind of my passion as far as my career. And I think the other caveat to that was I, I just wanted flexibility with my family. I wanted to be able to be off when I needed to be off and work the hours that they were in school and really wanted that flexibility uh, and control really for my own schedule and my own life. Um, So I started there and kind of worked there for three years and then just felt like I was 
growing out of that space and wanted to expand and be completely on my own and not in association with another facility. So in 08, I think that was 2004 where I, I opened up in the gym. And then in 2008, I found our own space about 1500 square feet and opened up there and then kind of proceeded to hire a receptionist and um, a couple more physios. And then in 09, my husband came on and joined at that time. Um, so we were there for three years and outgrew that space quickly, which I never thought I would because it seemed huge after being at 200 square feet. Uh, and then luckily, uh, a big space opened up across the street. And I was really adamant that I did not want to leave our location because it was kind of central, not downtown, but just on the outskirts. So it was free parking, uh, easy access from everywhere in the city. Um, main main uh, avenue went by, so great signage, great frontage. So I did not want to leave that area. And thankfully, uh, this big space opened up across the street. And that was, was 5,000 square feet, which was a big increase from 1,500. But we had to make the decision. We either needed to kind of stay and not grow anymore um, or expand and we took the risk and decided to expand um, and moved into that and then since then that was in the 12 2012 and then since then we took on another base so we're at about 7500 square feet there and then just in the fall opened a training center as well because part of our practice or business model is training as well so we have a 4,000 square foot training center which houses all of our personal training team training um that type of stuff before that we were kind of spread out through the city just trying to rent space to do all this extra training um which really wasn't that efficient so yeah so now and i'm here today <laughs> that's awesome it so definitely yeah. was a, a really good picture of locations changing but i do want to ask a question a little bit more about kind of the team itself as well um uh, can you let me know how many what's the total number of staff you have right now uh we have 15 physios okay. and um four three four four and a half uh strength coaches Okay. And then I'm a full-time marketing person and then five admin. Um, it's kind of my employee staff. And then we have contract services. Um, so we have a dietitian, we have a psychologist, an occupational therapist, and two massage therapists as well. Okay. So yeah. over 30, 35 people essentially total mm -hmm. that work with Craven uh, uh, Sports. So, mm -hmm. you know, going from that, the one person operation, which uh, it was you, and then to this over 30 person operation, now a clinic that's making over $2 million of revenue. What, what can you walk us through year by year, essentially how that team expanded? What are some of the challenges you really uh, face through those steps to grow that team? Because having a big team like that is definitely not an easy task, but uh, you made it, you make mm -hmm. it look so easy. So how did you do it? <laughs> um, 
well, it wasn't easy (laughs) (laughs) Uh, to begin with. I think, um, I mean, I, I knew the, the people that I needed to have. I mean, when, when I expanded, I knew that I needed a receptionist and I mean, I'd never interviewed anybody or hired anybody, um, before. So I didn't even know what the process was. So I, and I still do, to be honest, base a lot, base my hiring on people and characteristics of people. My philosophy is you could teach, you could teach the technical skills, uh, but the person and the characteristics and the their core values is more difficult to teach. So I would have somebody in mind in my head that I knew that if I could hire somebody like that, they'd be a rock star. And so my receptionist, I really based on the receptionist of the private practice that I worked at. She was incredible, absolute rock star. And so I looked for similarities in my receptionist and hired her really based on that. I mean, she had skills, but, and she's still, I mean, she's been with us for 10 years and still with today so um so I kind of started to build the team like that and looked for characteristics that were that we valued um and kind of started to build from there and just added physios and uh we were really prevalent in the community so a lot of people knew who we were and and what we're about and um we were pretty you know strong personalities as far as what we wanted so we attracted those similar Mm-hmm. Um, so building the staff, um, was kind of the first place. And then when Bruce came on, that presented another challenge as a, as a spouse joining an already established practice by myself, we had a few battles for sure. Um, so we had to, uh, really define our roles and decide who was going to do what. Um, and that was really my first kind of wake up call as far as defining people's roles of what they were responsible for in the business. Um, and at that point I knew, you know, I really don't know what I'm doing. So I need, I need somebody that knows business to help me. So I sought out a business mentor who's a client and a friend who owned a printing company, nothing to do with physio, but he'd been a um, business owner for over 20 years. And uh, had a lot of business knowledge, done a lot of training, and so he helped uh, mentor me along the way. Um, and then I started taking courses uh, wherever I could find them. Um, most of them were all in the States because there was nothing in Canada at the time. So I took courses for clinic owners, learned how to to implement things, to run a, a good clinic and hire staff and um, Yeah. And I think that's kind of how I've continued. It's just, you know, and I've done a lot of reading. I read tons and tons of books on business, which has also helped. Um, Yeah. And I think, you know, we've always had a vision of what we wanted the business to be and we've just kind of continued to grow it until we've got to that full vision. Mm -hmm. So, and there's lots of times I've hired, you know, not really, needing to hire but the person was an absolute rock star and I just figured I need this person we'll make it work and it's Mm -hmm. seemed to work out (laughs) that sounds awesome and the way you've approached about this whole process seems very logical right because uh, the front desk staff is really crucial to how the business will operate from a patient experience uh, perspective as well 
And then mm -hmm. if you really nail that higher, then everything else will start to flow nice and smooth. Mm -hmm. um, but Karen, you mentioned um, having Bruce come on as your spouse into the business as well. Can you expand on that a little bit? How, how did that dynamic transfer into your personal life? Uh, because we've never had uh, uh, that dynamic of spouses owning a business on the podcast before. So can you elaborate a little bit about that? Mm -hmm. um, it is, it's challenging. I'm not going to lie. And, um, I know Bruce would say the same thing that it was uh, really, really difficult on the marriage. <clears throat> um, it still is to a, to a certain extent. We've gotten better. Um, but we, I think, you know, and if I had to do it again and, and into talking to people in the same situation, I would say, you know, the number one thing you've got to do right off the bat, and, and we didn't, didn't do this, is to really sit down and define each other's roles. Um, because I think people who own businesses and are entrepreneurs, they're, you know, they're type A personalities. I know I like control, he liked control. And so um, we are really, you know, trying to take control all the time. And so really defining each other's roles of what you're responsible for. And then trusting that person that, okay, you're going to do it. I trust you. I'm not going to micromanage. I'm going to do these things and be in charge of these things. And then we'll meet every week and discuss, you know, our section of the, the organization. And um, so that helped a lot is really defining and working out those roles. And we had to make a decision um, when we started to grow quite quickly that one of us really needed to take on more of the role of, of running the business and working on the business and, and managing it. We we're kind of trying to each do 50 50 and then throw family into that as well. Um, and so Bruce's skill set is um, he's extremely skilled physiotherapist and, and works with um, national team, Olympic athletes, professional athletes. Um, he's extremely good at what he does. And for him to not do that would be a disservice, honestly, to, to clients and athletes. So I knew, and he really, you know, does well with vision and ideas and I do a lot <clears throat> better with management and organization. So so that's what we decided that I would take on more of the management of the business and then also take on more of managing the, the home and the kids as well. And he would focus on working in the business and, and growing it from a, a volume perspective, as well as helping mentoring the staff that we we're bringing on as well. So, um, and then also I think the other challenge with, with owning a business with your spouse is that to leave work at work and not talk about work at home. Um, that was a big challenge, especially early on when you're trying to keep your head above water. You, you feel like the only time you do have to talk about it is when you get home. So trying to have boundaries of when work is done, work is done, and we're not going to talk about it uh, until we have our next meeting. So I think that's some of the advice I would certainly give people now if they're starting out is to really set those boundaries early on and stick to them and carve out your meeting times in work um, or certain times. And then <clears throat> that's when you talk about work. And then otherwise you're at home talking about home things or kids or, or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. 
hearing us uh, with uh, that interesting story. Definitely, uh, I can imagine it would be a very difficult dynamic initially, at least. You know, it seems like you guys have a much better uh, grasp uh, and and you're absolutely right with clarifying the roles. I think that, you know, even even if it's not a spouse relationship, you, having that role clarification is uh, uh-huh. definitely, definitely crucial for any team, right? Um, now, since since you mentioned that you took on more of the management side and kind of working on on that part of the business, uh, want to ask you. So, what are some of the things that are your non-negotiables or things that you must do when you're working on this management piece of this business? And what will be your tip for somebody who's trying to get to essentially your level. Um, <clears throat> must-haves would be. Uh, well, there's so many. Um, <laughs> uh, I would say delegating and really empowering people. And I think it's about figuring out who's on your team and putting the right people in the right seats. Mm-hmm. Um, when you get to a certain size, you need uh, other people in management roles that are looking after certain pillars or divisions of your organization. And so finding the right people um and then putting them in those roles and defining those roles and empowering them to do the job um is one of the things now that i know is absolutely crucial um and the non-negotiables would be the people so you have to be the right person you have to get it you have to want to do it have the capacity to do it uh, and have the right person in the right seat you can't just put a body in there because you need a body so uh, if you're not the right person, then I'm not putting you in the seat. Um, and that's okay. Um, I think the other non-negotiable is scheduled uh, meeting times with your team. That's something that I think is invaluable, that those scheduled meeting times are the same day, the same time, the same place, non-negotiable, non-movable, period. doesn't matter if somebody's on holidays, we still have the meeting. Um, and I think that has been one of the huge things that's changed our business is sticking to that. Um, So that's one of the non-negotiables. The other is um, uh, blocking and batching calendar. So really sticking to um, what's in your calendar. If you're gonna work on something, you start at this time, you finish at this time. Otherwise you just feel like you're putting out fires all the time. Um, and my staff knows if my door is closed, that means I'm working on a task. Um, and now I have a little whiteboard on my office door so I can write working on tasks, do not disturb type of thing. So, cause I, there's a uh, many years I just felt like I was there putting out fires all day long and not able to get anything done. So my calendar is non-negotiable as well. I don't, uh, stray from it and that way I'm able to be productive and and get more done in a shorter period of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I want to loop back to when you said putting the right people in the right roles. Now it's, it's definitely, I can imagine it would be tough to get that right all the time on the first try. So what are some of the systems you have in place to kind of shift people as needed or to see if that is the right role or how do you determine that let's say after a few months, that person being in the role, this is definitely going to be the role for them for the next uh, foreseeable future. Um, Well, I do, you know, I meet with them one-on-one and really ask them if they have any interest in taking on this opportunity, this role, I think, because some people don't and you think they 
they might. So asking them and really talking about, you know, do they get in, uh, the expectations that I'm lining up? Do they get what this role entails? Do they actually have the capacity to do it from a, a professional workload aspect as well as from a family aspect? Because there is going to be some times where you're going to have to put in some extra time. Um, and do they actually want to do it? So get it, want it, have the capacity to do it. And then, um, and then meeting with them regularly to to see, you know, what are you working on? Did you get this done? What are you stuck on? What can I help you with? If that's not happening or there's a repetitive, I didn't get that done, I didn't get that done, then the conversation has to happen again. Uh, and that's happened. And, and a lot of times it's just um, some misunderstanding or things have changed in their life. I've had a couple of people who have had kids. It's very different. When you have kids, you don't have as much time. And so we've had to make some adjustments to a couple of people's roles. Um, so I think that's kind of how I've gone about it. I've been lucky that um, I've had really good people and I haven't had to completely dethrone somebody from their seat. We've adjusted and I've worked with them to make it work uh, and things have worked out. So, And it's definitely an art of putting the right people in the right place, right? Because you can uh, forecast that they will be awesome at that particular role in their duties, but you can never truly, truly tell until it actually happens. Uh, mm -hmm. But Karen, how long do you usually give um, before you kind of reevaluate the performance of the person and start to make a decision whether to shift or not for the person's roles? Um, I... Well, in the past, now it would be, I would say in three month increments, I would do three months uh, review. And I mean, I think I've learned over the years, you also have to allow people to fail uh, so they can learn. And so that's been a hard one for me to allow people to, to fail. Um, because really that is exactly, I mean, I've failed lots and that's how I've learned and grown. So, uh, I, for that type of thing, I reevaluate, you know, weekly and do kind of three month increment reviews. And then after a year in that position, as long as things haven't completely, you know, derailed, then we really sit down and discuss, do you really want to do this again for another year? So it's kind of ongoing. If there's really big red flags and I will interject quickly and make a change but um every year I definitely we have the same discussion do you want to continue in this role for another year etc cetera, etc cetera. so I mean I think it's kind of I don't know if that answers your question it's a continual evaluation but really each year we have the, the discussion again no it definitely makes sense uh because it's true that you do have to allow people to fail just because that learning process has to take place, right? Yeah. But uh, it seems like the three months is where you reevaluate and then just keep a close eye uh, month to month from there on and then see if necessary changes need to be made. Yeah, um, and um, just to add to that, we do have, you know, performance metrics that, you know, because they actually have to produce a product if they're in a, a certain management role. So... Um, we have uh, uh, director meetings every quarter, and so they bring their statistics 
you know, from that quarter compared to the previous quarter and then looking at the whole year. And, you know, the goal is to move the needle on things and, and have growth. And so if those numbers aren't showing growth and change, then that's a problem. Um, and so there's always a metric and a number attached to that productivity as well. And um, that you, that is measurable. And I think that's important too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, that's a great segue. Actually. I wanted to talk a little bit about the metrics as well. I know um, there's definitely a lot of metrics that you could be um, looking at for different clinics now, because, you know, we've taken a look at uh, your practice and it's, um, it's not just a practice where it just involves physiotherapy services, right? There's a lot of different metrics um, that you use and a lot of different, um, a lot of different people that you have to also manage. Now, we know that it's, you know, it's one thing to also, you know, use the metrics, uh, measure the metrics, uh, actually use the metrics and measure uh, performance. But the other thing is to actually use them to uh, bring some improvements in the staff. So how do you approach that conversation with your staff if, uh, you know, when, when the metrics are either good or bad, right? And um, what have you found that has been really helpful to get people to buy into wanting to improve their metrics? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, having those conversations, I think I've really changed it over the years. Because uh, yeah, it's been, it'll be 16 years I've been uh, business owner to more of a, a coaching philosophy mm -hmm. um, and acting as a coach and really having them uh, actively involved in that. Um, I try never to tell people what to do. I try to just ask questions um, so that they can come up with the solutions. So whether, you know, you know, good, I always recognize that. And then if things are looking a little off, then having that kind of discussion as to what's going on. And sometimes it's something that's going on in their personal life that's really, you know, and, and that's okay. Um, but I don't think I would recognize that unless I was tracking certain things on a weekly, weekly, monthly basis, looking at those numbers. And I look at at my scoreboards, you know, every day and every week and every month. And then that can show me a trend. And then that can lead me to discussions with, with staff about, you know, what's going on. This is kind of off of what um, typically you, you do. Is there something going on? Um, so I'll have that. And I also use what patients are saying about the therapist to direct that as well. Um, because, uh, you know, Patients do reviews, they do their net promoter score and Google reviews. So um, patients' feedback really affects, I think, the therapist because it's what they're saying. It's not what I'm saying, it's what they're saying. Um, so that really is powerful for them because they really want to do a good job with their patients. Um, so I'll use that. And I also use some of my other team. The, the front desk uh, provides feedback as well. Um, so it's not just me always giving the feedback to the, the therapist. So for example, they'll, you know, they'll say to the therapist, you know, you haven't been walking your patient up to the front and you know that we're supposed to do that. So it's, it's good to have more people on board to be able to say those things and give that feedback than just me all the time or my clinical director. So. Right. And those uh, different pieces of feedback are important. It's not always the metrics definitely have to guide our decisions, but it's that additional feedback from the patients and from the front desk 
to actually see the whole operation on a day-to-day basis that really matters as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you've talked about those steps from opening up your own place in that small space and then growing to a larger space and now growing to a much bigger space with a massive operation uh, that's multi-million dollars as well. What would you say your number one biggest challenge today is? Uh, it's, you know, it's still the people managing the staff and the people and really um, making sure that, uh, you know, people are doing what they're doing. But to be honest, a bigger thing that I've realized is to make sure the clinic culture is good, the patient culture is good, there's a good vibe, there's fun, that it's positive. Um, that in my opinion, drives business more than anything else. Um, If your staff is happy and they feel valued um, and appreciated and they have a a good workload balance, they don't feel like they're, they're overworked, they're able to do a good job, then they're happy to come to work. If there's fun things that happen at work, people are happy to come to work. So I think that's critical and I work a lot on that and it's, it's interesting because uh, just not too long ago, we had a few things happen. A lot of it was personal things and you could tell there was just, the vibe was just not good in the clinic and you could just feel it. And so, you know, uh, knowing that, you know, we made a few changes, added, you know, a fun trivia Tuesday, a high five Friday, implemented those couple things. And you could see the, the vibe and the culture just pick right back up and, and things got a lot better. So I think it's still, it's still about the people really. I mean, the metrics and the, the, the business and the revenue is important, but if you have good people and they're happy and doing a good job and they know what their job is, uh, that's going to drive your business. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely agree with that. I think that I do think that that's something that's always tough to get down a hundred percent because, you know, let's say like in 10 years, 20 years, we learn how to manage with a certain, manage a certain generation, the yes. next generation comes in and then whoop, all over again, <laughs> have to start over because they're going to have a different demeanor, right? They're going to have different uh, goals, different purpose. And, you know, yeah. we know that that's always going to be, I think, uh, a big challenge for everybody, especially in a business that's, uh, you know, a hundred percent revolving around people or right? people for people business. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah. So I definitely, I definitely agree. It's uh, it's going to be an interesting um, trend towards as we, as kind of, we know more of the millennial and the generation mm-hmm. Y. Yeah. Generation Y, I think. Yeah. <laughs> the one after the millennials yeah. um, see how that uh, kind of affects all the business because they're going to be the next uh, generation of new grads as well. Right. So, yeah having that culture shift is going to be interesting. So, um, you know, as we're going through this, this actually kind of brought up a thought in my head about having a business like yours that's been well-established for many years. So, and I'm assuming you have staff that have been there for many years. And so now you have multi-generations within your clinic. So Mm -hmm. how do you target that culture piece when you have multiple generations that, may view culture a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. Uh, No, it is interesting. And I've seen over the years a a shift. Um, And I think that's one thing I've learned is that it's organic and you have Mm -hmm. to be willing to change 
with the times and the people and that's hard um you know it's not the same and so being flexible with that i think the way i've done it is i've really been very open and transparent with the staff and i've really tried to you know i ask them like what do you value do you value more money? Do you value more time off? Do you want more opportunity? What is your bucket list for your career, for your life? Um, and so I meet with, with them uh, regularly, for sure twice a year, if not more, to ask those questions. Um, and it's always surprising because the ones that are older um, and a different point in their life they want to make more money they want to be more secure uh the younger want more time off mm -hmm. they don't they don't want more money they want more time off more holidays more days off they want to work less um and so when you're looking at an incentivizing or bonusing you have to look at you know if everyone's saying i want more time off then their your bonus or your incentive has got to be to what they want not money or otherwise it's not going to drive them so i think having constant communication with your staff um is a, is so critical to figure out where they're at what they want otherwise they're going to look for something else exactly and go somewhere yeah. else yeah mm -hmm. it's actually a very uh interesting point that you brought up because Sarush and i learn something new on every single podcast but uh, the fact <laughs> that you're saying that people want the younger generation want more time off is really interesting because you would think they need more of that money to create those experiences that they want, but it seems to be <laughs> exactly what you're saying, right? So you yeah. definitely do have to incentivize them according to how that is. But Karen, I just wanted to um, ask one more question in regards to uh, uh, the fact that you do have a great operation going, but you also uh, reached out for help with the clinic accelerator as well, right? Mm -hmm. That kind of um, helps uh, clinic owners grow and improve their operations. Um, what were you looking for help with from that specific uh, relationship? Um, I think I was looking well, I was looking for more mentorship for sure, and somebody to. Uh, uh, ask questions too, and just bounce ideas off of that have, have been there, seen it, done it, lived it. Uh, and those guys, you know, between them all, I'm sure probably 50 years of experience of all the things they've experienced. Um, and I, I was looking for more, more structure, more ideas to systematize things, a better, more efficient ways of doing things. Um, Cause I'm always trying to improve on efficiency um, and still be very effective. And so they really, I think, have nailed it as far as organizational structure, uh, systems, efficiency, um, and repeat, repeat, repeat. Um, I think they have really uh, nailed that. And that's kind of what I was, I was doing it, but it just wasn't quite where I wanted it to be. Um, and so that's what I was looking for. And I think they really bring that to the table. And, and then they bring just so much knowledge and then a, a vault full of resources on, you know, how to handle this issue, you know, how to handle your phone system, you know, what to do in this situation. So um, that's kind of what I was seeking. And they, they had that in their Canadian, which is awesome because I'd 
been involved in numerous of the U.S. groups, which there's a lot of similarities, but there's a lot of differences as well. So, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, definitely. Um, the the group of individuals that also work with that with the accelerator are definitely, like you said, lots of experience and definitely agree with the systems. Um, I think they've definitely nailed that to a T. Um, now, as we go towards the end of the podcast, uh, Karen, as you may have known, uh, we do ask uh, about a business book or a book that's really impacted your business specifically um, that's been influential and uh, you'd recommend for our listeners. Yeah, I think the number one book I would recommend is Traction, Get a Grip on Your Business by Gina Wickman. Mm-hmm. Have you read that one? We have. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, It was uh, really instrumental in really uh, the entrepreneurial operating system. Yeah. So creating your vision, creating your core values, your people in the right seats, uh, running meetings, uh, agenda for meetings. So that's, I have used that a lot. And so I'd started a lot of this. And then I think the clinic accelerator just really refined that um so that's the number one book i it's kind of my and i've got it beside me with probably 15 sticky notes and stuff in it <laughs> uh, classic yeah. scribbles all over it <laughs> yeah. yeah so that would be my number one recommendation for sure i've got lots but that would be one i would tell people to start with i actually recommended it to um somebody a couple years ago in ottawa that uh, my husband went down to teach a exercise essentials course to and was talking about our business. And so he was at the conference and said he picked up the book, he's read it, and it's completely changed things. And so now I think he's going to join on to the clinic accelerator too. So, yeah. Nice. Sounds awesome. And uh, Karen, we also wanted uh, our podcast listeners to get in touch with you. Um, so, we're wondering uh, where the listeners could reach you on social media or uh, online or any other ways to communicate with you. Sure. Um, I mean, you could go to our, our website for sure, and the, which is uh, cravensportservices.ca, and there's contact information there. Uh, uh, Instagram is at cravensportservices. Uh, we're on Facebook as well. Um, I mean, people can email me if they want, which is, do you usually give out emails? Yeah, it's up to you. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, they can email me, Karen at cravensportservices.ca. Okay. Awesome. Thank you. Lots of ways to get in touch with you. I think that if anybody, especially kind of get an idea how you've built this empire in Saskatchewan, I think definitely should uh, reach out to you and um, ask some questions. Uh, Karen, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We know, um, you know, we appreciate you joining us this early in the morning too. Um, And uh, hopefully uh, we can, uh, we can come back and, you know, have some, have a meeting in Saskatchewan next. Yes. yes. (laughs) We have to come and try the the pea protein there. (laughs) That's right. The, or the source. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, but yeah, thank you so much. Um, You're and, uh, we'll speak with you soon again. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to the PTBC podcast. Hope you enjoyed the episode today. 
please check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and at our website, ptbusinesscorner.com. Feel free to send us a message on social media or email us at info at ptbusinesscorner.com. See you next time.